Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, we started last section, as I say, last week of John um, 17, this last section. I don't know how many weeks we've been in it, 13. We're approaching 100 messages, not quite, but approaching 100. Fraser was telling us last week, we're approaching, I think we're a few off it, I don't know how many, six or something. Uh, we're approaching 100 sermons on the Gospel of John. Uh, and uh, you've got to remember, we raced through it for the first year, so if, if it was at this pace, we would be... No, forever. Uh, we're, we're in week 13, 14 here of John 17, and we'll maybe get another one or two weeks left before we conclude this prayer. And the more we read this prayer, I'm sure, the more we study it. No, even again this week, just seeing that prayer lived out in the word of the apostles every single day. You know, even my studies this week again, <clears throat> as I read, as I was reading Apostle Paul, um, and his letters, you just see that's, he's just, he's just echoing Christ's prayer. He's just reiterating Christ's prayer, high priestly prayer to, uh, the church in which he's speaking to. Uh, but here we are anyways, we, we, we kind of move on through this and look at this prayer and, as I say, see this me- message echoed, uh, with such weight and depth, um, and every scripture, you know, I suppose you could say that this prayer alone, this John 17 prayer, is the gospel. It really is the gospel in, um, in a nutshell, if you like. And this morning, as I say, we won't conclude, but maybe next week. Yeah. But as I said last week, uh, we're going to start doing this. And I'm not going to read the whole word. I'm only going to read each time what we're going to share on uh, each week. So if you can please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. If you're able, some of you are able but no willing, that's a whole different argument. Uh, and it says here, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. And they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. Thank you for reading God's word. Please be seated this morning. John 17 uh, we're going to just, I'm going to just start and just share a bit about verse 20 that we spent much time on last week, uh, before I move on to another few verses. Let me read Calvin's quote again because I thought this was, I read a few quotes, but here's one in particular that I read from last week from John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And Calvin continued, let the world condemn us a thousand times. This alone is sufficient that Christ knows us to be his own and commends us to the Father. But let us remember 
that the Son of God, the unique judge, approves only of faith, which is conceived from the doctrine of the apostles. What an amazing statement. It's only pleasing to God the faith that is conceived from the apostles and the doctrines from the word of God. Isn't it amazing that we're living times where we actually think, and you think of the modern church, and you think of especially the charismatic church, where they think somehow they're pleasing God with some flaky thing. Something that doesn't resemble God's word whatsoever. And somehow they think that they're pleasing God. And here Calvin rightly saying as he's, uh, as he's exegeting this, uh, these verses, but let us remember that the Son of God, the unique judge, approves only a faith which is conceived from the doctrine of the apostles. Moreover, the sure testimony of this can be found only in their writings, end quote. How amazing is that? And when you think, I think in my life, and um, when I first get saved and been involved in that whole charismatic feelings thing, uh, that somehow I wasn't pleasing God if I didn't get a revelation or a special word or a special feeling or or the hairs in the back of my neck were standing up or I could shabba-dabba-do and do some sort of magic tricks. Somehow that was pleasing God. Yet here it's in the word you see that the only thing that pleases God is that they'll be remaining his word and in the sound teachings of the apostles. That's great relief for what we used to pursue, isn't it? For many is, I can't say for all. Some of you, this is your first church. That's awesome. Well, especially if it has been your first church in the last three or four years. Uh, Matthew Poole said, said this, um, uh, if you ever, ever want, like new, whole testament commentaries, old and new. Matthew Poole would be uh, a good one to go. Spurgeon says that he's no far from the best out with maybe someday. If he says, if I couldn't get a hold of a, uh, a Henry commentary, I would go for a Matthew Poole. Um, this is what Matthew Poole says. And I, when I read it, I thought it was quite jolting what he says. He says, now whether Christ laid down his life for those whom he would not pray, lieth upon them to consider who are so confident that he died for all and every man. End quote. Isn't that quite an astounding statement? So what he's saying is, is, and it poses some questions, and as Paul Broughton says, that the dilemma then lies in the hands of them who believed he died for all. If we believe Christ died for all, I suppose it would be shocking to think that he wasn't praying for you. No. Why would Christ pray for whom he wouldn't die for? And that's what kind of uh, Paul's saying. Uh, he wouldn't pray or care. No, but if I say to people, you know, Jesus is praying for you. Like you say that to an unbeliever who, before I was a believer, and if somebody says to me, Jesus is praying for you, I would have been rocked. I would have, I would have fought the core of my being. I think because of the future election, I think. Some people you say, you know what, Jesus is praying for you, and you're like, did he? Aye. And you go, no, he isn't he actually. No, actually, isn't he? If, that, if that's how you feel about him praying for you, he's probably no. Truly. Quite astounding, isn't it? But why would we think no? Because we're living this universalism, didn't we? That Jesus, everybody died for everybody. He's for everybody. He loves everybody. He died for everybody. He includes everybody. He accepts everybody. But yet here in John 17, he clearly says that he doesn't pray for everybody. Yeah. 
However, for them that will believe, it is a wonderful comfort, don't you think? It's no elitist. People say, well, that Calvinism, that, that election's elitist. For them that understands that, they don't feel elite, do they? Certainly don't. I don't think I've ever felt, I don't ever, I don't think I've ever felt less elite <laughs> in all my life. One of my friends today, and I, I know they didn't mean anything by it, they may well be listening, they sent us a message, it was like, and I'm the opposite of a super, being a superstar and saying, but you're a superstar in Jesus' eyes. You're a superstar in God's, a celebrity. He was talking about celebrity pastors. He quoted something, they were quoting celebrity pastors. He says, and they says, you know what, but you are a real celebrity in God's eyes. No, and I'm, I had to get back and say to them, and I love the person dearly, and I had to get back and say to them, listen, there's nothing, there's nothing repels me more than thinking that I'm even just a superstar or even a celebrity in God's eyes. And what tends to happen, it's almost like that false humility message that you get uh, in church. It's, it's just another re-addition of pragmatism, really. Uh, notice again this morning, Christ says, them that will believe in me through their word. Them that will believe in me through their word. Honestly, I've been debating this this week as I've been praying. I'm thinking, I wonder if I was saved before in the past because it was certainly never the word I was in that got me there. No, was that just a feelings thing? Was there some, you know, in there? And then I look back and I go, well, no, because it was the word initially. It just gets started to get hijacked the minute I get saved. <laughs> it was the word that made me know that Jesus died for me. It was the word. I remember talking to my nephew a few months ago before he got baptised. Me and Callum were standing and he almost looked at us as if we'd be staying and it was wonderful. And me and Callum says, why do you want to get baptised? No, trying to kind of question his faith a bit. Look there and he's like, he looked at us like that as if, and he says, because Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, why else? We're like, no, that's all right, sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't even have asked you. Me and Callum just walked away like, how dare we? <laughs> and that's what he was like saying, how dare you? We, we get saved, but, and it was the word, and it's the knowledge of the word. It's amazing you get all these modern teachers teaching about this new gospel, but the only way they ever found out about Jesus was through his word. But they've got a new version now. Paul at the start of Romans wrote this, Romans 1, 16, 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's through the word people believe. It's the message of the gospel that the apostle stood on that multiplied the church. Jesus did pray. I hope they stick to it. That's what his prayer is. His prayer is, and he's not praying in hope. He knows they will. He's not praying, well, I hope they stick to this, as he says in this prayer, that they would believe, but he knows they will not drift for the word. He knows it's an absolute. And he knows that believers will be saved through the words of the apostles, first them who were living at the time, and then all, first by their exact words, then passed down through word to word. And the churches became like a bit of Chinese whispers, innit? That wee game you used to play with children, where you would start saying a word and 
then you would go along, you'd say something, and then you'd pass it to, it's maybe called something else now, it was called Chinese Whispers then, probably that wouldn't be politically right to call it that now or something, you know, but I don't call it, can't call it Chinese Whispers, that's not politically right, that's what it was called when I was a child, so if that's, if that's not politically correct, whatever you call it now is what it's called, but we called it Chinese Whispers, and to be honest with you, I had no racism when I played that game in my life when I was calling it that, so I don't know what it's called now, but anyway, it was called Chinese Whispers, and you'd say a word, and then you'd say a word, and then you would get to some, and you deliberately changed it, but it wasn't that you never heard it, you heard it, but you just deliberately changed it. It's a bit like the word today. It just gets passed down and passed down. <laughs> it gets passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down. You just deliberately change it to suit your narrative. The apostles simply preached the message they were given. And then they preached to us the message they were given. And then we are to preach the message they were given to Christ. That's how souls are won. That's how saints are saved. One message, one heart. The church of the hour, doesn't he? Have that. It promotes what? You heard me talking about it last week. Individualism. A man-centered gospel would be another way of putting it. A gospel to suit the individual. And turn no the gospel at all. Andrew spoke last week of the, the narrow gate. The gospel message is a, a narrow path. Yet we have false teachers, and I got up last week and I mentioned it, but yet we have false teachers desperate to make the gate wider and wider and wider and wider. I was that preacher who was desperate to make the gate wider and wider and wider as you get hijacked with what love is. Has there ever been such a time when love has been hijacked? Than it is today with everything that's happening and the equality stuff. It's always a misrepresentation of what equality is. It's never biblical equality, isn't it? Matthew 7, 13, 15, what Andrew spoke on last week. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Well, so what we're trying to do is, <laughs> we're trying to make mere people find it. We'll make it wide, mere people will find it. But it's not about us finding, it's about him finding us. He found us, we never found him. So we don't need to make it wide. Beware of the false prophets. And it says, beware of the false prophets. So so in the context of this, what he's saying is, is that, uh, in Matthew's gospel is beware of the false prophets, Jesus said, because what they're going to do is they're going to try and make the gate wide. That's the goal of the false prophet. You might think, of course there are other permutations, but the first goal is to make the gate wide. You make the gate narrow, he doesn't get a jet. Okay, he doesn't get a jet with a narrow gate. He doesn't get his multi-million pound house. Doesn't he get all these fancy, the narrow gate, doesn't he get you that? So he's going to make the gate wide, but first, that's what he has to do. He makes the gate wide, get more people. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So they come as a friend. Don't need to digest that. I mean, you'd need to go somewhere to unexplain that. 
but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Then Matthew 7, 21 to 23, as it moves on, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And if this doesn't co this is perfect coincidence with, everywhere you look, it's perfect coincidence with this start of John, or this section of John 17. The gate seems to keep getting wider and wider. To the point of view, the gate in the church is that wide that you don't even need to hear the gospel preached at all. That's how wide the gate is. The gate's that wide that you can come to church and never hear the gospel. I remember a man was at our church a while ago, and I've not seen him for a while, and um, he says that uh, he, was good, he was in the area and he was going on about churches. And for months he was coming to church and never heard Jesus mentioned. Never heard Jesus mentioned in church. Not frightening. There's people preaching all around the world this very morning, given the time difference where they are, who barely know the message that the apostles bring. In fact, I could say this embarrassingly, ashamedly embarrassingly, how little I knew about the apostles when I was opening God's word. Isn't that frightening? I told you last week there's a woman in Dundee who called Peter a little pipsqueak. Sounds like a woman that knows the apostles, doesn't it? Sounds like a woman that should be sitting down. Down. For good. Well, they barely know that message that they received for the apostles. Is that a wonder they can't preach it? Is that a wonder if they can't preach it if they don't know who they are? Today we have all this modern day prophets given their revelation. Their new take. They've seen some that nobody's ever seen. Never seen it. I've never seen that before. Never seen that. Well I'm, doing a, well, I'm taking my message around the world what you've never seen before. Much of the charismatic church we hear more about personal revelation. Personal visions than we do the word. Yet the Jews, if you think of the Jews, the Jews received the prophet's words. They still do. But know the apostles. The Jews received the, the prophet's words, but know the apostles. Therefore, they're not saved. They're happy to receive the prophet's words, but know the apostles. You could say the same the day. The people that love to hear the latest prophetic word but don't want to sit under the word of God. It's too boring. It's not there. It's not exciting enough. I don't get the feeling. Trying to train yourself when you're used to that stuff and used to that emotionalism to try and train yourself to sit under God's word. It takes a bit of doing at first, doesn't it? Remember when I first started listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? I'm like, come on. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. One of the greatest preachers, certainly in the last hundred years and teachers in the last hundred years. Personally, I've got a I think Dr. MacArthur's the greatest preacher in the last hundred years. That's just personal. It's no, it's no law. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones pretty much up there. Remember first listening to him going, come on, come on, come on. Honestly, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I was, I was, I was, I, he wasn't exciting enough for me. 
He wasn't excited at first. He wasn't excited enough for me. I'm not. He's going to have to speed it up a bit. He says, the problem then is the rebels. So <laughs> <laughs> he says. He started saying that. I'm like, he's Welsh. <laughs> Sounds kind of Scottish. This is what's going on in my head. I'm not even listening to the message. I'm, I'm trying to dissect who he is. Because that's what I was used to. I hadn't trained. This is hypothetic it was. I was a sheep who was not trained. My mind wasn't expanded. My heart wasn't expanded to hear the word of God the way it should have. And I had to learn it. I had to learn and then... It's not that I didn't love it, you know. It just, it just, it just wasn't that instant feeling that was trained into me to desire. It just wasn't sweet enough at the beginning. Or that sugar rush that you get. Just wasn't getting that sugar. Oh, I'm buzzing, man. Just wasn't getting that. It was just, it was a slow burner. But then, but it went deeper than anything else. No, I can't listen to the other stuff at all. I was talking to Orgy a few months ago. She's just like, I can't even go. Orgy just goes like, I can't even listen to that. I just can't. Just can't, can't even listen to it. Just, why? Because she's hardwired for loving the word. <laughs> I've seen... I've seen people in church, literally. James, you'll know this. You were there. You preached it. No, I can't. <laughs> I have seen people literally comatized through the message and coming alive like Usain Bolt about quarter to twelve when the anointing is about to get launched onto folks' lives. Honestly, practically asleep like that. Mary. Mary, it's, 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 we're, we're up for it now. It's the big bit. It's the big bit. It's the good bit now. We're ready to get a feeling. Oh, oh, oh right. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm no joking. That's what it was like. How'd you go on with the word? Never mind the word. There's something coming big here. I can feel it. Nothing during the message. Sleeping. Sleeping. I could not believe that. I'll sidetrack. I'll tell you some I was shocked. We went to the first, we went to a few banner, Puritan conferences. That's what banner conferences are. Puritan conferences. The average age would have been mid-60s. That's the average age. So Callum's here and he's tw he was th 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 29. 28, 30. So, up, one more. <laughs> Callum was here in 33, so when the average age is 60, that tells you what the age of some is. Do you know what I've never seen? This is shocking. This might embarrass some of you. <laughs> never seen anybody sleep, never. Never. I remember sitting through a conference with a guy speaking, and he wasn't the most exciting. And I was sitting next to Ian Murray and his wife. Ian Murray was about 90, and I think, I think his wife's genes no far from it. I'm no kidding. I've never seen a couple so alive during the work in all my life. And the guy wasn't great, but I'll tell you what, there were none of that. <laughs> Not, not an odd, not an odd in sight. I'm like, they're, they're up for this. The church I was in, everybody was sleeping during the service. Everybody like that. Until, until the big bit came. It's time for the feeling to come. The anointing's coming. The preacher's going to be laying hands on you and telling you what you're going to be doing. And he's going to be giving you a special feeling forever. I'm no kidding. You've never seen people come alive with us. No. Walking sticks flunk to the side. You better hope there's no social services. They better get their money docked. You're like, you'll lose your money. 
You're going to lose your invalidity money. You're going to lose your money the way you're excited to. No, you're not going to get it. Your benefit's going to get cut. You're running along there like Usain Bolt. I'm no kidding. The, the, the change in atmosphere. I'm like, you were dead during the word. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm not saying, and you heard me saying it again. I am not saying they people, none of they people were saved. I'm just saying the word, the word wasn't preached. When it was even preached, it was the word. But they were so, that was such a sideshow. The word was so secondary to the feeling and anointing that was elevated above it. And what is that? But the words, the prophecy, becoming greater than the word. The next feeling or anointing. And we used to do it, we're like, right, we need to have a big ending. Callum was talking about uh, Stephen Furtick, or he says he's going to end it with that. <laughs> he's going to end it because immaturity wants a feeling. I've got to have a feeling. I've got to feel special. Go and leave here feeling terrific. That's, really, you believe you're feeling terrific. You know, you laugh. I'm not all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot worse. And yet, that's what Christ prays here. Comatose during the word. Olympic athlete at prophecy time. The word was never enough. They needed an encounter. That sealed the deal. We'd be in church. Honestly, this is how bad it was. See a service that didn't have that at the end was just a bad day. How was the church? It wasn't right. I didn't get anything out of that the day, did you? Didn't get out of the day. See if it was a big anointing fest at the end. No. Everyone was measured on that and it tried to be recreated for months. Mm -hmm. The next month, it was next week, it was the same. You know, folks sleeping. Some happens at the end. Somebody sees the word. Somebody sees a sign. Somebody's got a prophecy. A champagne bottle's got caught. Some things happened. A tapestry. A spaceship's flew by and the Lord's left a message. It's whatever it may be. It's something's happened. And the church comes alive and they're folk flowing about all over the place. Right? Oh, folk are hearing stuff, seeing stuff, tears. <laughs> tears are tripping folk. That would be classed as a right good day. That was a powerful, powerful day at the church today. Was it, oh, very powerful. Presence of the Lord was amazing. The presence was, was it, was it a presence? Was it, was it presence not there when you opened the word like? And it never happened until the man opened his mouth what was nothing to do with the word. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? So the, the, the presence of the Lord was there when the word got preached, but the presence of the Lord was there when the man seen a spaceship or the wee woman says, I say the Lord. That's when you started getting the feeling. And because somebody started saying, what's your name and where are you from? And started prophesying into your life. Surely that was nothing to do with the word. That was about your ego. The word was never enough. I needed an encounter. None happens at the end. There was not a supernatural move. Do you know what you start doing? See, when there's not a supernatural move, let's fake a supernatural move. We need to g up the feeling. Just not a powerful day in the house. That's how it was. Week in, week out, week in, week out.
Thomas Martin says, there is a believing in Christ and a believing in Christ. He does not say those that believe in me, but those that believe in me through their word. There's a believing in Christ and there's a believing in Christ. He does not say that those who believe in me, but those who believe me through their word, meaning the word of the apostles. Again, we've got so much believing in Christ in the church who care not for the word. To do the work of the evangelist, therefore, is to preach Christ, is to follow the word spoken by the apostles and declare that to the people. Somebody's like, ah, it matches in your eyes, I better not fall asleep here. How much did we attempt, and I could say me included, certainly me, I'm t shockingly, trying to win souls without the gospel. Trying to win souls without the gospel. Outreach projects, trying to win souls without the gospel. Why are you trying to win souls without the gospel? Can't speak for everybody. I'll tell you why I tried to win souls without the gospel, because I was ashamed of it. I was ashamed of the gospel. It was too offensive. Didn't you like how people felt about it? Wanted to make the gate wider. Makes you think, wonder if it was our false prophet. Well, in a sense, yeah. Ashamedly, yeah. Ashamed of the gospel makes you want to do everything for people, but no, teach the gospel. A lack of separation for people. Did it get people here? Absolutely. But it never kept them. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to keep people without the word. It's exhausting having relationships with people without the word. Everyone has got a relationship with anybody that's no centered in the word is exhausting. Isn't it? It is. You don't want it to be exhausting, but it's exhausting. You would rather it not be exhausting, but it's exhausting. You would rather keep it light and try and make it no exhausting, but inevitably it's exhausting. What do the healthiest, deepest, God-centered relationships have in common? Love of the word. That's it. It's the love of the word. How else would we have such bond and such love for each other but the word? What does most your dysfunctional relationship have at the centre? No, the word. A mutual love of the word is the healthiest relationships you'll ever have. I've got a better relationship. I just mentioned him again, no for any reason. No, I've got a better relationship today with my nephew I've ever had in my whole life. I hardly knew him. I didn't know him at all. Oh, his whole life. I knew him, but I didn't know him. The day I know him, not as well as I'll get to know him, but it's the word that's bound up. No, 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 my blood, no, my relationship, no, my, no, my family tie. The word. A mutual love of the word. Without it, relationships are always. Always fragile. Always fragile. Never truly free. Even, even, even with them who would claim to be in Christ, but you know they're no yet in love with the word. They don't love the word. You, it's just effort. Sometimes it's civil. I'm not saying it's all bad, but 
it's just it's hard work, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's just hard work. It, even even the least perfect lover of the world, we're all imperfect, but even somebody who just loves the word but their own uh, early sanctification journey, there's even a freedom in that compared to them who seem to have been on the journey long but they don't have that same passion for the word. You just don't have it. It's just hard. And then if you're trying to then, if it's them who are knowing the word at all, that's torture. You could call it by, I know it's got its moments, it's no torture, but in general it's torture. And if we're all honest, we'll be like, it's torture. It's, it's torture, it's hard work. You know, you, you get, you get fleeting moments of joy. Right? You get fleeting moments of, you get fleeting moments. It's alright, the new. Right? It's not that bad. It's not that volatile, the new, but it's in the post. That's what it's like. I know I'm stating the obvious here, but it's true, isn't it? Sometimes the word that's that off, you're like, that's right. You just can't have that. And here's the thing. Here's another thing that needs to happen. You need to change. You need to change. And that's okay. You need to adapt because we're trying to bring the gospel. That's fine. But sometimes the change is so extreme in it that you have to deny Christ almost. to have that relationship with him? And you have to you have to put Christ somewhere or here. You're like, I can't even bring Christ into this because the word is so volatile in our relationship. It's so void, sorry. I can't even bring that to the relationship. So you've got to change. And then when you do that, then when you come back into the world with the world, then you're wondering why you're not quite get the same joy. You're like, ah. how are leaving? You're just like, ah. it's exhausting. Totally exhausting. John 17, 21. We better move on here. That they may all, that they all may be one. As you, was this, that all believers would be the same as the apostles. We talked about this last week, wasn't that sober? Uh, if, the, if, you were, if you were spending time with the apostles, even this week, never mind last week, what about this week? How would you have got on? How would you be there this week, be cutting about with the apostles, all right? Being on all right with them, just like them. Stick out that sore thumb a wee bit. Aye, me too. Be a bit... I think I, I think I would have been corrected quite a few times by this week. I think I think Paul and Peter might have put me aside a wee bit. I think John might have put me aside a wee bit and says, Are you really one of us? Aye. Certainly no acting like it. <laughs> certainly no acting like one of us this week. I'll tell you why I know you're certainly no acting like us this week. Because since last week you've almost done nothing. Oh. Oh, that's a sore one, isn't it? Since last week, you've done almost nothing. You've hardly been in the Word since last week. That tells me how little you've been doing compared to me. Imagine you come for this. Imagine you don't pick... Yeah, imagine you just come here for this. You're like, oh. That's what I'm like when I'm studying at times. I'm like, oh, not enough. I'm not doing enough. That may they... All may be one as you. Father are in me and... I and you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's why we need this oneness. It's what joins us and it's what unites us. The world. I do feel for young people, don't you? And please pray for them. Young people in their faith who are getting into the world and into their schools and they're so set apart for the world. They're so different for the world. 
in the world and see, especially teenagers, they don't give a rip. They're so cruel. They'll just say it. They don't care. And yet, you've got young person who doesn't quite have that level of faith yet. And their parents are helping them and keeping them on the straight and narrow. Yet they're getting into a world and being devoured with all that strength of faith. It's a tough gig, isn't it? Please be praying for these young people. And spending as much time and strengthening them. Because it's not about taking them out the world, is it? Isn't it? No, even at that age, it's not about taking them out the world. It's helping them equip them so that they can handle the wells and the, because you're not strengthening them by taking them out the world and isolating them, and you know, they've got to be in there. And that's the battle that a parent has. I was talking to a parent this week. That's a battle parents have. You're like, I would love to just protect them for that world, but I also know that I need them to be there because I can't remove them from it. And that's why we have to pray for them and love them and care for them and make sure that we spend the best times with them when we're with them in church. That it is love, it is fun, but also as well as we are equipping them and strengthening them. What sets us apart from the world? The word. Really, the word. What lets the world know that we're in Christ? The word. To not have the same message as the apostles is no one the word. Again, what a privilege to be counted among the saints, though, eh? Don't you think we ought to act like them a bit more then? Or let me add this, that is our true joy is in the unity and oneness. I know that. You ever fell out with a brother and sister in Christ? No peace? Then you know you don't have peace. Don't have peace till you say sorry. Don't have peace till you repent. Don't have peace till you get your heart right with them. Don't have peace till you're okay with them. Don't have peace. The gospel message that Jesus talks about here and prays about is totally non-individual. There's no individuality in it whatsoever. And not a killer for your ego who wants to be a somebody. It's actually no individual at all. And see, because it's so no individual, it really doesn't matter what you do. Because see, if it's no individual, then there's no need to compete. What do you see mostly in churches that don't stand on the word alone? Competing. Comparing. There's such a lack of happiness among believers at times, don't you think? And it's always, always, always stems for a lack of unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Always. Of course, there are other things, but that's the root. Because even if you had that, you could cope with everything else. Calvin says this, the ruin of the modern race is that, alienated from God, is also broken and scattered itself. Therefore, its restoration lies in the consolation in one's body. Sorry, the word's coalition. To collide, to be united. No consolation. To be united in the body. So the, 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 the opposite, the opposite to being broken and the antidote for brokenness and being alienated from God lies in the oneness of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says this, 
This is Apostle Paul. You remember he writes to the church in Ephesus and the problem there is we know that it was a strong church. It was one church. But the problem was they had loads of other messages. They had wide, wide gate preachers coming in. That's just the problem where it was. They had wide gate preachers coming in trying to widen the gate and they were coming in and they were worshipping other things. There were loads of stuff. Remember they worshipped the goddess. Uh, Deborah, I think it was, the goddess. And they worshipped her. And... They sell wee shrines. This is what they done in Ephesus. They sold wee shrines. And then Paul comes in, preaches the gospel. They all believe and nobody wants to buy the stupid wee shrines. Isn't that brilliant? That does put you about in mind of Roman Catholicism. We don't need them. I'm sorry. We've got direct access to Jesus. We don't need your wee shrine. And what happened is all these people were going out of business. <laughs> because they had direct access to Jesus. They could approach the throne room with grace with boldness. So all these, they were all together in one mind and one heart. And then what happened is, as always, as the church grows and multiplies, what happens is these people were losing business and losing stuff. Well, we better get an upset the apple cart here. So they come in with another message. And as they come in with another message, it starts to create division. It starts to create division. There's no unity. There's no love. There's no strength in numbers. Therefore, this is why Apostle Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. This is Paul... This, this is a warning. This is Paul, this is Paul saying, you need to stick to the one message. Stop adapting the message to suit the hearer. Just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is above all, through all and in all. What Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, is it anything but echoing verse 21 of Jesus' prayer? Paul, one spirit, one hope, one calling, one baptism. John 17, 21. That they all may be one, as you are the Father in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. It's the same thing. It's about being one. It was, I suppose, easier to maintain unity at the beginning of the church when there were very few but what made it strong was that they were one. There weren't any conflicting stuff. See, in the modern church, we start getting, people start getting roles, didn't they? What's your role in the church? Well, I'm this. I always, listen, I understand, it should just be elder pastor. That's it. That's all you should have. See, you get through one of, you get into one of the modern websites in church and you see all the names. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, who's who? And it's every job title you ever, it's every job title you've ever had. You know, and you always know. See, when you see that, you always... I just think when I see that, I just think trouble. Trouble. Because you've got to get competing there because everybody's got a job title. And if you've not got one, you're looking for one. You know what they used to say? Guys used to say to me, I remember at a church. This is years ago I was at a church. And the guy nudged me during worship. This is the other pastor. Nudged me during worship. Well, he was doing that. All that stuff, right? And he was nudging me and he went like, you full time yet? During the worship, I says, what? Full time. Full I says, full time, what? Full time pastor, getting paid full time. I says, during the worship, I says, I'm a volunteer, I'm not the least bit interested. All right, won't be long, but. As he says. 
And then for the next few years, I hear this all the time, your own staff. Who's on staff? Staff, what are you talking about, staff? Some of you have not heard this. See if you're in a modern pragmatic church, that's all the word you hear. Staff, you own staff, what are you about staff? You own staff, you own staff. That, what that actually means is you get paid. And what it actually means is you're a gaffer now. And what it actually means is you're quoted. You own staff yet? You own staff, no, I'm not on staff yet. He's on staff, them in the front row on staff, them in the second row on staff, them in the third row trying to get on the second row to get on staff. That's what it's like. Who cares where you sit? <laughs> Only reason these guys sit there is because it's quicker to get onto the platform, that's it. <laughs> no opposition. Ah, oh, it's alright for them down in the front row. I've been in church when that stuff's created wars. They're on the front row. They've hardly been here near the front row. I bet they're a big diver. That's how they get in the front row. This is the sickness that starts to engulf the church. In the early days, they didn't have any of that. Do you know why? Because they didn't have any other message. They had no other idea. They had no other ambition. No other competing. Nobody, nobody cared about what they'd done because it was one message. Nobody cared about what they'd done. They had all things in common. I'm, I'm making up. Look, look, it's simply just go to Acts 2. Acts 2, this is the very beginning of the church. Acts 2, starting from verse 42. This is, this is what they wrote, right? This is, this is a, but this, Paul, Paul's going to be killing folk but at this point or Saul. But here's Peter. This is just after his first sermon where 3,000 were added. That was some sermon, wasn't it? And then it says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What did they continue steadfastly in? The, I'll tell you what they didn't they continue steadfastly in. The new guy's revelation. The new guy that's came with an amazing gift. Have you seen the new guy? Oh, by the way, he's brilliant. Brilliant. Got to continue with his stuff. No, we and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What's the breaking of bread about? Well, we know what that's about. It's about confession. It's about purifying the body. And the breaking of bread and prayer. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Okay. But that office is now closed there. Eh? Now all who believed were together and had what in common? All things. Well, I don't really like them and I don't really have them in common and I never get picked and they get picked. They, don't, they didn't even have that going on. There were no, there were no position looked for. There were no, there was no elevation. Oh, don't say that word. There was no elevation of, that's just gave me a bit of palpitation there. there there's no, there's no, there's no elevation looked for. Because the word that was taught never had that connotation it never led to that desire now all who believed were together and had all things in common we see this and they sold their possessions or goods that's a different world eh it's all right for them they've got plenty any of that no i kid you not i kid you not i just thought it the other noon i don't like to gaff peace at all no. steve lawson says when a preacher steps away from the pulpit i get nervous i get what he's saying right I kid you not, right? And I'll not get into detail. I know a church, I know of a church where they get a position 
and even a car parking position based on the quality of their car. Because look at their motor, we can get them in, they could very near become a leader. They've got a Maserati in the car park, give them a better parking space. We'll get them into a gaff. The church is not far away from here. What does that create? Well, it, it brings wannabes to the church. There's, there's supply and demand, isn't it? You're going to preach prosperity. You're going to, it's wrong to preach prosperity as in that kind of prosperity. But there's, there's supply and demand. Oh, the people want it as well. And they would look in the car park and they would look at the cars and they would go like that, right? They've obviously got a big car there. That's obviously worth about 100,000. They'll probably get a gaffer job in here pretty quick. Do you think that doesn't harm? I know it's shocking, isn't it? I know it's shocking. All who believed. I used to be part, no part of a church. I used to go to a church in Bradford and there were selected parking spaces for the gaffers. Yeah. Do you know what I would do? See, ever who comes early, they get the good gene. How's that? Just have that. You, you come first, you'll get the, the best parking space because it's, that's what we're dealing with here. Now, I'm not saying that a preacher or a somebody's coming shouldn't at least have a, you don't want him parting seven miles away. But it's that, it's that elitist. It's the mindset of that that becomes disgusting. All who believe were together in their all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided among all who had need. So that, this is, this is a level of oneness that you've never seen. Now you have the opposite in church. Now you're looking at folk who, who do lavish. I've said to folk before, that, that car has got a ridiculously loud voice. Calm it down. You could get a perfectly good looking car, nice car, that Disney of that sort of worldly voice. Well, listen, if you're in church, that's fine, but I see it with people in, in Leda and you're like, what is that? Is flaunting your life? Cutting about with Louboutin shoes? You don't need Louboutin shoes. Somebody's like, I don't even know what Louboutin shoes are. Let's just say, let's just say that there are at least two weeks' wages to buy a pair. I'm not buying them. I'm going out there to kick a ball with veins. No chance. You get what I'm saying? And divided then among all, among who had need. So continually daily with what? What accord? One accord. In the temple and breaking bread from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of hearts, praising God and having favour with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What is that you're seeing in the book of Acts there? But Christ's prayer being loved among them. So it is, okay, verse 22, 23 as we close. And the glory which you gave me, I gave, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. Here we see what Jesus and the Father truly desire for us, that we would be as one with him and the Father and apostles. To be like him, we must but follow in his footsteps and the teachings of them he's entrusted with the word. To be in his glory as it were is 
to be in Christ and Christ in us. For Christ to dwell on us is to have his glory. Then this allows us, as Hendrickson says, to be partakers of all the riches that are in Christ. How could we possibly be one in Christ when we don't speak the same message? How can we possibly have unity and preach the word to the world? If we keep sharing with them our own take. How can we ever be united when the message is so different in its values? These modern teachers, they never, do you know what ends up happening? They leave the church and they always attract people who don't want to go to church. You ever notice that? They gather a posse of rebels. Rebels. That's how they gather a posse of rebels who don't want to be in church and don't want to go to church. In this part of the prayer, we hear how Christ longs for us to be as one. But for reasons. One, because we will never have joy without being one. Some of your greatest battles, your turmoils today, is that you're not getting on with people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Two, you'll never become like one if you're not like... You'll never become as one or become like Christ if you're not as one. You'll never become like Christ if you're not as one. The man who isolates himself, what does he do? Seeks his own desires. He rages against all forms of counsel. Proverbs 18.1 The man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. That's the trick of the enemy, just to get you isolated. You start to rage against the word. You start to rage against the truth. Two, you'll never become like Christ if you're no one in three. But we'll never preach the unified message that one souls if we are not one. And that's the that is the devil's tactic. Absolute master tactic. He loves the lack of oneness. The devil loves the lack of oneness. He loves to say you're an individual. He loves it. He must love these gurus when they say, you're an individual, you're no one of the crowd, step out from the crowd, be different. He loves the devil's like, you're a beauty preacher. He loves it when you hear a message, you're the captain of the ship. I had a men, there were a men's conference a couple of years ago called Invictus. What? They thought it was good because of that poem. But the guy, kind of, his name escapes me. No, I am, it's, it's the, it's the quote that, uh, Nelson Mandela said in Robin Island, no matter how bad this or that, I am the captain of my soul. I am the captain of the ship, all that stuff. Really? I'm the master of my fate. Really? You're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your soul. There were a conference in church called Invictus. I'm like, that's got nothing to do with that. And when you read this scripture, you can see how far away it is. I'm not trying to be master of your fate and captain of the ship. <laughs> Oh, you have a special message, you have a special gift, that stuff. He loves to cause believers to compete for status. He knows when that starts happening, there's a lack of unity, a lack of love, there's a separation. He loves them to fight for titles. He loves them to fight for titles. And he loves, he loves believers to have their hearts hardened with prideful opinions. Loves it. Loves all that stuff. 
Because when it starts that stuff and people have got it, you say, you know, you're not submitting to the word here. You're always getting your take on it. You always know. And then you can look at it in your personal life. You go, oh, I'm wondering why I just don't have that bond. I wonder why it's always effort. I wonder why it's just no free having a conversation with them. I wonder why it's just, it's just no there. He loves comparing. He loves believers to compare and gossip. He loves it. Compare and gossip, never be one. Comparing and gossip is anything but one. Loves comparing, love gossip. Thrives when believers are jealous. Thrives. Loves them being bitter towards a brother and sister in Christ. Devil loves that. Kills oneness. And loves to send wolves among the sheep. Loves to send wolves among the sheep. To steal hearts. Loves it. Destroy the message. Stop unity. Create division. Loves the rebels. Loves rebels. I better stop saying that. I'll end up saying it that all the time. He loves rebels. He loves rebels and he loves them. He loves it when them that feel like victims then start pontificating. He loves that because it just kills unity. Loves cliques. Loves it. Love a, loves a cliquey crowd in church. Loves it. You click there. You don't talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to them. Majority because his cliques in church is weak men. It's because his cliques in church. Weak men no telling their wife to stop gossiping. It's because his cliques predominantly. He loves isolation. He loves you to be isolated. He loves you to be isolated. There's nothing that steals your joy or steals the word for your life more than being isolated. Because in isolation the mind wanders. I would even say this this morning, even if you've got justified isolation through health or through whatever you're going on, nobody says you have to stop isolating talking to people. But that's what happens next. You should actually up the ante in how you talk to people and communicate with people when you're isolation. No lower it. He loves isolation because the mind wanders very quickly in isolation. And the man starts to seek what? His own desires. These one men, what church do you go to? I don't go to a church. Church is here. You know that stuff, all that more. A, church is in my heart, I don't go to church. But you're preaching a message in the world that you don't go to church. Yeah. You're a man who has isolated himself and do you know what you've done? You seek your own desires. Let's put it another way. You're a man, you're a one-man band who started to preach his own message. It's exactly what it is. Why all that? Why does he love it? Because it's in oneness that Christ is most glorified. It's in oneness that we are most effective. Something happened to me the other day. I will close with this. Let me just finish here. We're most effective. It's in oneness that the enemy trembles. The enemy's, listen, the enemy's no trembling for you and your own wee idea and your own wee revelation. He's no little least bit, but he trembles in oneness. I'm grateful for the families that are here. I love it. I love that the new families is here. I love it. And they might not feel totally one yet, but as time they start to feel one, the enemy trembles. They would love, they would love you to know fit in. They would love you to know, I just don't quite fit. He loves that. He 
He loves to play that game in your mind because what it does is it takes you back into the fringes again. Don't quite fit in. Things have changed. I've had to make decisions. I've had to do stuff. I'm going to have to go back onto the fringes again. He loves that. Because it's the total opposite of what Christ prayed. It's the total opposite of what Christ prayed. Because it's in that that we're most effective. It's in that oneness that the enemy trembles and it's in that oneness that souls hear the most powerful gospel message. Which is what it's about. Do you know something happened the other day? It was quite astounding. Just a nothing thing. But it meant everything really. I was talking, we were having a chat and I'm not going into detail, we were having a chat and somebody said something regarding myself and it was it was it was a bit underhand, it was it wasn't right. Uh, anyway, I, I, I didn't say too much. I, I said Callum was there. So me and Callum was here. Fraser was kinda there, but me and Callum were right next to each other and it kinda happened. I was like, oof. So a bit jolted by it with the, the insinuation. That's all I'll say. So anyway, I had to go away. I didn't say anything a minute away. I just went away. Didn't say much. I come back about half an hour later and Callum came to me and he says, my brother in Christ says, he says, I felt compelled to go and have a conversation with that person about that. And just kind of put things in the straight and narrow about the record. No, he def wasn't he, it was defending, but it wasn't defending. It was just a brother standing in truth. I could have wept. No, what they sticking up for, just that, that unity. And no, do you know what really happened after that? The, not that I was feeling that, but, but I'd already processed, processed it myself, but there was just that unity. But do you know what else I'd done? See right away, see the person that had it. See the level of compassion I had to want to share the gospel where it was greater. It's astounding, I never clocked it. That's like that. And that was a brother standing ways that made me feel stronger about what I was going to say. And made me feel less offended. So a brother standing up for me made me feel less offended about what somebody says to me. I know we think it's all about us, didn't we? And I want to thank you for that. That was a beautiful thing. And I know you didn't, you just, it's a beautiful thing. And I know you didn't think anything of it, but I did. And by that, I was just moved with compassion for the other person. I wasn't, he softened my, he was able to soften my heart, almost. Such is the power of oneness. Such is the power of unity and love and brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh. No one of the devil trembles. He trembles at unity. He trembles as being together. He trembles when we say sorry. He trembles when we forgive. He trembles when we serve our sister in Christ. When we have every reason to excuse no way. He trembles. The least we things we do for our brothers and sisters of Christ is the greatest things that we can do that brings unity to this church. Never think that the small things that we do for each other don't matter. They matter. And with that, then we have one message, one heart. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Praise the Lord for his word this morning. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.